Welcome to Called, a podcast where we explore the intersection of ministry and the rest of our lives as church workers. I'm Bill Smoots. And I'm Sarah Bariza. Join us on the first and third Tuesdays as we talk about cutting the BS and embracing the good. Between the two of us, we have ministered in churches for over 50 years and haven't burnt out yet. And as I always say, yet. Yes. <laughs> I've pastored uh, mostly Presbyterian churches. Last couple of calls have been UCC interim transitional uh, work. Uh, large churches, small churches, in between size churches. If they pay, I'll play. <laughs> no, that's me. Uh... <laughs> what, what, oh, that's right. You play something. I just play with them. You play keyboard. So, so I'm a church musician, and um, I've worked in basically all the denominations that hire organists. Um, because, yes, literally, if they, if they pay, I'll play. <laughs> but I love it. It's been good so far. And should we separate? This isn't pay to play. This is yeah, no. <laughs> play if they pay. So today, we are talking about flow. Care to tell us what, what, what that means? Uh, flow is one of those great nebulous topics in 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 church life but particularly flow of worship and this is something i never was exposed to in a worship class it, it's just kind of something over experience but how does a worship service flow together from beginning to end how do all the pieces fit together um how do you avoid uh, the dead air dead air time awkward gaps and while we're not going to spend a whole lot of time with it there's there's both the physical flow there's also an emotional flow uh, that, that is important, I think, to pay attention to worship services, in worship services mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, so we're going to focus on the physical flow of a worship service, whereas the emotional flow is maybe another a topic for another episode, although it's incredibly important because I think we've all been to services where it's just like, wow, that was really dead for 30 minutes in the middle. <laughs> just or, didn't, didn't feel well, feel good. Or, or I was excited and I was sad and then I didn't know what to be and left kind of feeling blah. Yeah, kind of confused. Yeah. <laughs> like, where, where's the coffee? Where's coffee hour? <laughs> so um, so clearly we're coming at this from a Protestant perspective. Um, if you are in a more liturgical tradition, a Catholic church, Episcopal, Orthodox church, <laughs> um, don't have as much much uh, flexibility here. But, you, you know, you might learn a few things that you can think about even for those types of services because when we're talking about physical flow, uh, we're asking questions about, like, how do you get the acolytes in order ahead of the church service so that you don't have an awkward gap of the organist going, well, my postlude is – or my, my prelude is finished and I'm cranky because I'm an organist and I'm not playing the next thing and good luck getting the acolytes ready. <laughs> not me as the organist. I've, I know other organists <laughs> like this. <laughs> and, and for me, it's even, you know, where do announcements go? If, yeah. if, if announcements are understood as being in the body of the church or mm -hmm. the body of the worship service, then that, uh, mm -hmm. from me, from my perspective, can be very disruptive. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and so I, I tend to like to put announcements first and then have some kind of musical, I'll call it a prelude, though it's not mm -hmm. a, not a, a big, musical preparation for worship. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. To, to kind of say, okay, now we're moving mm -hmm. from the, the, the business details we took care of into mm -hmm. uh, the worship mm -hmm. service. Yeah, so this is a consideration where regardless of the denomination that you minister in, you need to be thinking about physical movement through the space of the worship service, the space that you're creating in the worship service. And it's your physical movement. It's the physical movement of the congregation. Mm -hmm. The it's physical movement of the choir. Like when are they going to come down to take communion from the loft and how long does that take? And, and are yeah. they going to sing 
uh, from the loft? Or are they going to mm-hmm. move yeah. Uh, yeah. into the sanctuary a bit more to sing? All those kinds of questions. Are we having a children's message? Are they moving out of the service? Mm-hmm. Just Is there movement yeah. for communion or a baptism or, or whatever mm-hmm. uh, is on board for that day? And how do we do all this movement intentionally, purposefully, and not leave people in the congregation going, oh, what's 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 supposed to be happening? What's what? what? Uh. Right. Because yeah. what I hear consistently from members of churches I've served is they feel better when they know what's going on or they know what to expect or they're not surprised. The worst thing, I think, is for them not to know. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting here. I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. I don't know where I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't yeah. know what I should yeah. do with my hands. Um, any of yeah. those kinds of things. I, I think so often we who are leading services, we forget that the people in the congregation are leaders in their own lives. They are the leader of their own life in a, in a certain kind of way, but also leaders in their communities, in their jobs. And then suddenly they come to church and they're sitting there and they're kind of captive to whatever we're doing. Yes. Um, yes. And that can be a really awkward space to be in an, and an uncomfortable space to be where it's just like, oh, I realize that something awkward is happening. Something's happening that shouldn't be happening, but I can't get up and fix it. I just kind of have to sit here in this awkward silence of where the accolades. Uh, a, a tangent of that, uh, I have served several academic congregations where where a lot of the membership is tied to a local university or educational institutions. And and one of the things I've discovered with professors, deans, other administrators, they all have their specialties. And and they if if it's something to do with their special area of knowledge, they expect to be in charge of that area, leading that. So when they come to church, they say, oh, the, the church staff, they're the specialists. They're the ones with the, the, the specialized knowledge, and they expect us to... To, to actually be the expert. To know what we're doing, <laughs> to actually be the expert, to, yep. to, to lead, uh-huh. to, so, so, that, so that they know what's going on. Mm-hmm. So there's the flow in general. Let's talk about how we can actually get a good flow in a service regardless of where we are. And the big, we're going to talk about this in two parts. We're going to talk about this in terms of like the big picture, how to get the whole staff team or whoever the team is that's leading a service all together. And then we're going to get into the granular sides of things, the little tiny questions to ask yourself, little hacks to just be like, oh, how could I tweak this and make it a little bit better? Let's start with the team. Okay. My sense is that Anybody who has responsibilities in a worship service needs to sit down together the week before the service at some point and talk about what they're going to be doing. Who's doing what, when, uh, what's the overall uh, gist of the service? Where are we trying to go in any particular direction? Is it is it a, a normal worship service? Is it a All Saints or an Advent or mm-hmm. some some other kind of service? World Communion's coming up that has something special in it. How does the service fit together? Big picture. Where? How do all the pieces fit together? And who's doing what when? And, and so, if there's a liturgist uh, that the in our case right now, as a lay liturgist, they may not be able to be there, but we need to say, okay, what are we going to have them doing? Yeah, um, we're doing that advanced work so that they're not sitting there puzzling through what they're doing. Correct, yeah. correct. And then, uh, okay, we're going to have a children's message in this service. So what's the movement to the front and, and away? Are they then going 
out of the room to Sunday school? Are they going back to sit in pews with parents? Are they going to playground? Um, those are all, those mm-hmm. all require different uh, thought processes. If we're going to do something in the service that's a little more creative and invites congregational participation, if they are moving to prayer stations, if they are moving to healing stations, if they're going to turn and talk to each other in mm-hmm. the pews, How's that going to happen? When's it going to happen? Um, who's timing it while it's going on? How are they going to be called back? All those What's the pieces. signal for calling them back? Correct, <laughs> correct. All these pieces have to be thought through, and the team that is leading the service need to be um, you know, well enough connected with each other that they know the cues they're going to give each other, um, and they've thought through the service from beginning to end before. I think one reason it's really important to talk through things as a team, even if you have a really similar liturgy week to week, is that everyone on the team is in a different physical space in the service. They have different sight lines. They can see different things. They notice different things. And they also have their own different personalities. And so they're able to think, well, how would we shepherd 50 people through this this creative partic- participatory activity, we all, we bring all these different personalities into it. We respond in different ways to sh- social cues. And so it's not just one person being like, well, of course, everyone will stand in a line because isn't that what everybody does? Or of course, this is how things go. I frequently have this because my sight lines are extremely limited. Um, so I frequently have to ask people, oh, well, how, how does this actually go? You're going to have to cue me. You're going to have to cue me. How are you going to cue me? Because I can't see everything from where I sit in the service most of the time. And that's, you, you can't know all those things unless you're having that conversation ahead of time. We found that throwing rocks are really good cues for Sarah. I prefer tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> Ask for us after the post, Lynn. Have a basket out for you. It's tomato season. Uh, it's a late tomato season here in St. Louis. So another important thing that goes into this pre-planning is thinking about anything that is different for the service. Maybe you are blessing people with water on this Sunday, or maybe there is a different kind of processional. Maybe you have a new acolyte. Maybe you, I keep on coming back, some of these acolytes, (laughs) y'all, they are like seven and too short to light the candles, but you know. We work around it. Yep. Yep. But like you know, there's something there's something different that's happening. There's maybe there's a new liturgist, a, a lay liturgist who's leading. Maybe it's um, Advent and you have your candles that are coming out. Whatever the different thing is, is a key place to just be like, let's talk through this. Let's make sure we know exactly what's happening because that kind of imagination ahead of time. I'm gonna imagine myself through that sequence can save you from having that dead space of, oh, wait, I was supposed to be standing over here versus standing over there. Because that's frequently what this, the lack of flow comes down to is someone isn't in the right place at the right time. They don't think, oh, wait, yeah, we were going to put this prayer here. I was supposed to be here to pray. Or or they can be in the right place, but just not know the cue. Mm-hmm. Or they, you know, they forgot to turn their microphone on or whatever the thing is. It's just like that, like... <laughs> or forgot to turn it off. <laughs> One of my frequent problems. <laughs> But if you imagine ahead of time and do that preparation work, especially as a team with whoever is leading the, leading the worship, then you can, you can be prepared and not have any dead time. For, for me, a lot of this interest in flow comes back to the many years where I worked as a substitute organist. And I would be in all kinds of denominations. And what made me laugh and still makes me laugh is how every church thought their way was normal. And even churches that had the same denominational structure where things were very similar, I'm thinking, say, a a Catholic church where I worked, 
everybody does things a little bit differently. And so I'd always be like grilling the priest ahead of time. So like this thing in the bulletin where it says speak, are you actually going to sing it here? Because I have the music for this. Like I don't want any surprises to happen in the service. And I'm thinking of one Catholic church where I worked um, for a year. I worked with five different priests at that church. And everyone did their own little thing a little bit differently. And they'd all be like, why are you asking me this? And I'm like, well, because Father so-and-so does it the other way. And you just think you're doing it the normal way. And I don't want a surprise in the midst of the Mass. I just, that's, that's not fair to the congregation. I'm a professional here, and I want to be completely prepared. A couple of things I want to add in here. One is that congregations have particular ways of doing things, much like the individual mm-hmm. Always the normal way, can. right? And, and so coming into a new church um, to do communion for the first time is, oh, yeah. first, is often yep. terrifying. Uh-huh. And and because pastors often start on the first Sunday of a month or a first Sunday, you know, it's first Sunday, and that's often a communion Sunday, you're walking straight into uh, a, a way of doing something that Everybody in the congregation mm-hmm. just assumes mm-hmm. is normal yep. because that's how they've done it since Jesus was here. This is one of the big things that I would grill churches on ahead of time. I'd, I'd talk with the, the main musician, but then also on the day of, talk to the deacon or the pastor or whoever was doing that, being like, so when do I stop the music? And they're like, oh, well, you know, when we're done. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, imagine in your head, what actually am I going to be able to see from where I'm sitting that will make me stop? <laughs> so so are you saying that when you started a year ago and I would just say, oh, end it whenever, that wasn't helpful to you? Yeah, I mean, a little <laughs> detail would help here. The, the other thing that I want to say here, and, and I think anybody who's worked with a staff team probably knows this, but I also think it's worth saying out loud, when you plan this kind of movement and flow as a team, there's just greater ownership in the service. It's not just, oh, the pastor's, you know, doing a top-down thing to the service. It's, it's everybody is bringing their gifts and skills. And, and, and I find it gets people, energized to to work together to mm-hmm. how do yeah. we together yeah. bring out the best in each other for those people we serve yes yeah and for the god that we serve yeah yeah well, there is yeah. God. that's 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 <laughs> I have a, it. I have a, a feeling though that too. that god doesn't mind our awkward silences right? i think that god's okay with that god's probably more okay god with wants it our than best but <laughs> yeah. should we talk about granular things oh let's all do. the details let's do So I have maybe four different areas of detail, a couple of which are related to musical concerns. And these may or may not apply in your setting because in some churches, you know, the choir is at the front. They don't really have to move around that much. You only use one instrument. But I have frequently been in places where I needed to physically move across the chancel to play on a different instrument or I currently work in a place where I need to move down from the platform of the chancel down into the like down a set of stairs um, to play the piano. And I have to think, am I going to walk in front of, am I going to walk in front of Pastor Bill here or whoever is praying? Or am I going to, am I going to literally exit the sanctuary and come in through the side doors to move around? Am I going to move the choir back and forth um, if they're going to sing with the piano? And I have to think about two aspects here. I have to think about the noise and I have to think about what's happening visually. So with something like noise, I'm thinking about things like doors opening and closing, the sounds of my shoes on a um, on a wooden floor, which in some churches where I've worked has actually been really noisy just because of like where I was in the space, like the acoustic space. I'm also thinking about like the noise of the choir moving up and down. Or um, if there's any sort of cover, sometimes I'll even play the piano while the choir moves down to give give some sort of like continuity to the sound, like not just the visual thing, but the sound. So I'm thinking about noise or sound. I'm also thinking about 
what's happening visually. Is it going to be distracting for me to be walking back and forth? Is it um, an optimal time as best as I can have it for a choir person to be moving or for a soloist to be moving or from, you know, someone in the congregation who's walking up to play their instrument for something? What is going to work best? Maybe sometimes I have people move up earlier than they need to because, well, if you move up at this point, that's when everybody in the congregation is moving because it's the passing of the peace. But if you wait, then you're going to be kind of distracting you randomly walking through the sanctuary. I'm also thinking about what's happening visually because in some some settings, depending on like what you can actually see, what happens uh, music-wise can be really distracting to the flow because when you are in the midst of a worship service, generally speaking, you want the congregation's attention to be directed towards whatever that particular thing is. Of course, knowing that some people are um, worshiping in a different kind of way. Not everyone is paying attention in the same kind of way. But for us as the leaders, we're like, okay, well, now is the time that we're singing. Now is the time that we're praying. And that's generally where, where we want people to be able to focus and not be like, oh, what is that big bunch of movement in the periphery of my vision? So I try to think about what would I be doing? What would the choir be doing? What are other instrumentalists doing that could be creating movement that could be distracting? And honestly, it's not always perfect. I think um, in some churches, the layout works better than where I currently work. That's just, you know, that's just how it is. But it's something that I'm continually thinking about because I don't want to disrupt the flow. I want to not have noise or visual things that are distracting from something else that's going on. We are thinking about getting Sarah a pair of tap shoes and some tap lessons and letting her tap her way across the, the sanctuary. You know, clogging, tapping, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, clogging, tapping, you know, it all works. Let's... Here at our the church we're currently serving, we have a passing of the peace as part of our liturgy each week. And often it follows a confessional sequence um, or a um, affirmation of faith, and then we invite people to pass the peace. But I've also found that the space right before the passing of the peace is a great place to put a baptism, a blessing, the reception of new members, all sorts of things that that then end with people going out and greeting one another in passing the peace. And and this is both because I, I think it's often good to end those moments, whatever they are, those holy moments, with that physical connection of passing the peace. But it also provides nice movement. Yeah. It, it, in, instead of waiting for people to go sit down before you start the next thing, you're already covering that. And and it's a granular thing. It doesn't work in every uh, context. But but those little things, it's these little pieces that, that do make a difference. And it lets you have that movement with a cue that the community already knows, whatever that song is that you do after the passing of the piece, there's that cue that brings people back It brings back everybody together. back, yes. Yeah, it brings yes. their attention back. I'm thinking especially of these kind of exciting things like, oh, yeah, we had a baptism. You don't want to immediately like go like, and now we're going to silently pray for 30 seconds or whatever. Like that... It doesn't, where people's emotions are, talking about emotional flow, people's emotions are, I want to get up, I want to greet someone, I want to go give someone a hug, I want to, you know, go say hi to my godson over there. Yeah, yeah, the church where I grew up, baptism, the the organist would play some music, and in from the side door would come the parents and uh, the child and perhaps uh, uh, one of the uh, church leaders to be with them, and they would do the baptism, and then the music would play again and they would march out the side door and and it was just this 
deathly dead, dry, mm. horrible theological statement uh, that 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 offered yeah, that didn't not, add anything to the service. Yep, no, no, it, it oh, just didn't. Sad. So so let's move oh, to communion. Can I oh, can yeah. I side note on baptism yeah, though? Yeah. Um, the church where my son was baptized, they would invite all the children up to watch the baptism, which was a little bit messy. Those are the most um, fun. But baptisms. it was fantastic. And so for thinking about passing the peace, if you are wanting to get your children involved, and what a fantastic way for children to be part of that that sacrament, that important ritual in the church, passing the peace is a great way to be like, okay, now little kitties, you you can now be ready for your children's time or back back to your parents, like. It provides room for the movement. And and when yeah. I have the kids up there for something like that, I will often ask them to be the ones that say the, the peace words. Mm, and so, yeah. so I'll say a phrase and they'll shout it back at me. Nice. And, and, nice. and, you know, it gets them involved and then they go past the peace. Let's talk a minute about communion. Because I think we often do communion always in the same way, but where Bill and I are currently ministering, uh, we have done communion in very different ways in the past few months. We've had communion around one large table. We've had communion at multiple stations around the room. We've had different, we've had people serve communion to each other rather than having um, the pastor be the one serving communion or the, the deacon serving communion. And one thing I want to note here, because, you know, we're thinking about how do we get a whole group of people to move where we want them to move? Especially when we want them when to we move. want them to move, and in a way that doesn't feel uncomfortable to them, that doesn't feel awkward because they've never done it this way before. I think that ushers are an important part of this, in terms of like we don't always talk ahead of time with ushers, but this is the time where we want to clue them in. Here's what's going on. Can you help direct traffic? That kind of thing. They're already used to. In, in many churches, they're already used to directing that, like in churches that are bigger that need to like dismiss by pews for communion. This could be a prime moment to like. As you're pre-planning, as you're talking through the flow, be like, oh, we need to rope the ushers in on this thing. And it's not just a, we can tell the ushers once and they'll remember. Oh, it, no, no, no. It, it's every a single tell time. the ushers every time. Because, <laughs> no, no, unless you do this every single week. Because, even, because then. Even, even then. they Folks just, you know, they're remembering how they did it 15 years ago. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and that's somehow what they go right back to instead of what you've just asked them to do. And mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. so reminding them And that's okay. Frequently. Like, it's, I mean, not... I mean, yes, please, people pay attention. But also, like, you know, we're the leaders here. We have to just expect that people are not going to remember, and that's okay. And we're we're the ones who have to do the reminding. We're the ones who have to think through things ahead of time and carefully plan things. Correct. And and I was what I was going to say about communion here at the church we're serving. We take it by intinction each time we receive communion, and so people. That's where you dip it. People move forward, <laughs> take a piece of bread off the loaf, dip it in the cup. Mm-hmm. commune, go back to their seats. If that is going to work, there's a fairly prescribed movement that needs to be followed. People need to come up a center aisle and then return to their seats via side aisles as this sanctuary allows. And I found that it's important for me each time to remind them of that movement as I am uh, setting up communion, doing words of institution and, and prayers, and, and that I, I, it just needs that constant reminder. One, because people forget sometimes from week to week, but two, hopefully we always have visitors in mm-hmm. our midst. I mean, we want to welcome them. People that, you know, mm-hmm. maybe the last time they were at church uh, wasn't a communion Sunday. And, and so part of being welcoming, part of helping that movement happen is taking the time to say this is how we're going mm. to do it. 
So this leads into my last thought on details, which is making things explicit to the congregation as you're doing oh, it. Yes. Um, and I had a really fantastic, hopefully to be repeated, please, uh, experience this spring where I was leading a hymn sing. And, you know, of course, people are scattered around. It was a holiday weekend, uh, low attendance. And I physically myself went to everyone in the sanctuary that I could uh, right before the service started and personally asked everyone to move up into the first few pews, um, you know, trying to sell it as a like, you know, sit where you want to sit, but you're going to enjoy this so much more. Even if you don't want to sing, you're going to enjoy this so much more if you're like with people and not just by yourself. So I made that very, very explicit and very personal by talking with everyone. But I think the big thing here is the making explicit. Now we're going to do this. Here's how we're going to do it, especially if you're doing something in a service that um, requires a lot of movement. For instance, we're going to have communion around a big table. Let's say this really explicitly how we're going to do this. Here's when we want you to come up and how we want you to come up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I just got to say, Sarah, I was not here. I was on vacation that weekend of the hymn sing, mm -hmm. and, and so I missed this. I consider that people willingly move forward when you ask them to something of a miracle. I know, right? Because uh, I've asked that question, or I've asked people to do that for years and years and years, and you know, I get stony stares. I, 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 get, I did get a couple stony stares, yeah, but they, almost they ignore everyone me. moved. They, they don't move. They <laughs> smile because they're not moving. So I think it's a miracle. We may need to, you know, yeah. I, I don't know where we send this up for, for official miracle status, but we may need to do that because <laughs> it happened here it on did. this day. It did. Oh, it, it was. It was remarkable. Uh, so those are, those are different questions to ask, different considerations to think through as you're planning and thinking through the flow of the service ahead of time so that you can... Really optimize the flow. Is that yeah. is optimize the flow too businessy? Well, no, I don't think it is. And, and and all silliness aside, optimize the flow to make it more impactful. I I think that that paying attention to flow and movement enhances the worship experience. And, it does. And, it does. And, and it is, lets people focus on the worship and not be like, what what what's supposed to be happening? Yeah. And 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 in that enhancement, it is therefore holy. Mm -hmm. Versus mm -hmm. uh, when you don't pay this attention to these service. things, you 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 kind of muddle through, and uh, we get to an end, and and I think people go, oh, thank God, we finally made mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Versus versus, wow, this was something that moved me uh, because it was well crafted. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. And 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 I think that's part of our job as church professionals, it is. It as is, yeah. disciples of Jesus, to pay attention to these details and do them well. Mm -hmm. Should we do a read of the week? A read of the week. Oh, I actually have a read of the week. Oh, yay. What yeah. do you have? Well, I haven't read it all yet, but I've been waiting for this book for about six months. It finally came out last week. I'm Hooray, you into pre -ordered. it. I'm loving Go, it. I pre-ordered. Pre I know. Yes. It is called How to Lead When You Don't Know Where You're Going. Leading in a Liminal Season. It's by Susan Beaumont. Susan uh, is a church consultant, used to be with the Alban Institute, um, has, has read written some incredible books on how churches can function, how you can do personnel issues in churches. And and her sense is that... I'm, I'm looking over on my desk because I have a book oh. that I borrowed from Bill, which is by uh, is that where, Susan is that Beaumont. That is? Yep. When Moses, when Moses Meets, meets Aaron. Aaron. It's, it's literally like in my sight line as we're recording. It's the book. Um, and and her, her sense right now is that the church is in a liminal season. And, and liminal uh, is derived from a Latin word meaning threshold. And so mm. her sense is that we're on the threshold of something new. We yeah. just don't know what that new thing is or quite where it's going to be. And Good um, luck to all of us with 30 more years of a 
professional <laughs> career left. <laughs> hey, even 10 more years of professional yeah. career left. And and while we're standing on this threshold, the great temptation is to, to look backwards to, mm. oh, this is where we've been. And since we don't know where we're going, let's just kind of cling to where we've been. And and she says that's dangerous. Is that, that like this idea of, well, what's worked before? Let's try that. Yeah, let's just keep beating that dead horse because okay. uh, we know it'll work again. And and I got to say, I'm very early into the book, but just in the, the preface and the first chapter, I've gotten incredible ideas, two or three sermon series ideas, uh, particularly for churches that are in interim time, which oh, yeah. I think is very which is, much which is liminal your job. time, which yeah. is my job. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I will talk about this book some more, but, but I would say run, don't walk to your computer and order this How to Lead When You Don't Know Where You're Going by Susan Beaumont. It is worth it. So what I have is called Bless This Mess, A Modern (laughs) Guide to Faith and Parenting in a Chaotic World. And it is by Molly Basket and Ellen O'Donnell. And uh, Molly is a pastor and Ellen is a child psychologist. And that is a fantastic combination of... um, Faithful parenting that is evidence-based and not just like, well, what worked for me was kind of... Worked in my day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I have read a lot of secular parenting books, like here's how a child's brain develops and here are ways to like make your toddler happier and make you happier and not, uh, you know, not end up with a... I don't know what what can I say. Um, toddlers are toddlers are interesting people sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good word, a good word. And I have read in my earlier, um, I, I grew up in a very conservative evangelical family. I've read quite a few conservative evangelical guides to parenting and child rearing, um, along the lines of you know spare the rod and spoil the child and train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Good luck. I hope that works for you. But. Um, for people who are maybe not in that kind of space, that would be me. Um, there are not a lot of books out there that are really focused on parenting more broadly speaking as a, as a Christian, as a progressive Christian. So, um, there are books that are like, here's how to, um, have Christian rituals in your home. Here's how to raise your child as a Christian, but not what this book is doing, which is here's how to holistically parent as a Christian. Here's how to talk with your kids about money. Here's how to talk with your kids about sex. Here's how to deal with like morning things and evening things and bedtime and all those things that more um, like secular parenting books will often be like, here's how to, here are ways, strategies to approach bedtime with your kids. Well, this is one that's going to be talking about prayer and praying for God to help you sleep through the night when you're scared of the darkness if you're a little kid, right? Which you often don't get in a secular parenting book. And... um it's, it's just a really, really good book. I usually skim books. I'm a very good skimmer. Um, and I'm like reading this whole thing because it is that good. It's like, oh, I actually need to read all of this. I need to read the whole thing. Bless this mess. I, I, I like that yeah. because any, anybody who's in the midst of it or has already raised children knows that it's, it's not a neat linear thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's messy. And your kids uh, have the, the personalities that days. they have. Yeah, it's right. always messy. That's right. She says having made a cut out cookies with frosting and sprinkles with her three year old last night. Yeah, that was um that was messy. And did and you bring any for staff meeting I later did. today? Oh, I did. Yay. Yep. Yay. You were about thirty good. minutes away from a, a a violent green frosted cookie. My child picked out the color, not me. <laughs> okay, the whole day is worth it now, Sarah. That's wonderful. <laughs> cookies at staff meeting, folks. Uh, Good times, good times. So that is it for this episode of Called. Join us on the first and third Tuesdays to hear more about life and ministry. 
You can find uh, show notes for this podcast at calledpodcast.com. And you can also find at calledpodcast.com my other resources for church staff, as well as my weekly newsletter for church staff. Sarah's got some good stuff that she's putting out, and I hope you all will go and, uh, and check those things out. I just did a summer debrief. I saw, Guide to a summer I, debrief. I, saw, I haven't read it's it yet, a good but I saw practice, it come across the video yesterday. That time so. of year. Yeah. So if you're enjoying this show, please share it with your ministry friends and read it wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Bill Smoots. And I'm Sarah Bariza. Cut out the BS and embrace the good. <laughs> Until next time, Yeah. cut out the BS and embrace <laughs> the good. <laughs>